Hour of Boat Talk is made possible in part by Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. It's 10 o'clock exactly, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. It's uh, time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU. This is uh, time for the radio show that boating, uh, the W, that Boat Talk does. It's a, uh, uh, a, a nautical, nautical call-in show that uh, is for people contemplating things naval. It has the, uh, the cheapest sails and the rustiest anchors. That's Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And today we have... Michael War of Stonington joining us, too. Welcome, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. Michael's sort of a uh, boat talk, what would you call it, uh, uh, usual suspect sometimes. Yes, you've probably heard his voice before. As well as, uh, you know, uh, other, other WERU uh, call-in shows. Is this thing still on? Yeah. Yeah, okay. some, my some headphones just went out then. So anyway... Uh, yeah, Michael uh, called into Boat Talk a few months back and, and uh, you know, sort of intimated that he might like to come over and visit, so we've invited him, and, and uh, Captain Giffy Foe can't be here this morning, so yep, you know, we've done the best we can. We've got Michael in here. Giffy's off on an adventure, but I'm sure we'll hear about it next time. Yep. And uh, let's uh, start off talking about some old news. Yeah, we uh, always sort of, uh, I, I clip things during the month uh, between Boat Talks, and uh, we always have some marine news here. And also uh, got a story about some uh, people on a Memorial Day vacation uh, uh, up to Chamberlain Lake up above Baxter State Park. And uh, two out of three of them ended up drowning. We'd like to talk about that this morning. And, uh, you know, as always, it is a call-in show and pretty much will interrupt what we're doing and talk to people. We should say that. Yes, 1-866-625-9378. If you're contemplating anything naval, it's good enough for us, and we're glad to talk about it. Yeah, so in the news, uh, well, let's start with the boat school. The boat school uh, down to Eastport is a favorite subject around boat talk, and if we do editorialize on this program, which, you know, is a sort of a WERU no-no, we support the boat school in every way, shape, or form. Uh, the marine industry in Maine is basically the only growing industry in the state. And it's pretty healthy. It has a worldwide reputation, but we have a hard time finding skilled help. And then we have a boat school, which was just about to uh, wither and blow away. That is not growing. No, it's yeah. the logic there. In Washington County, where they, you know, they need things to do and, and uh, you know, smart people. So mm-hmm. it just uh, defied logic. Uh, last year, the governor intervened and uh, found something like $270,000, saved the thing for a while. It's always been run by the Washington County Community College. It was a floating alone, as it were. Yeah, and uh, so on July 1th, the uh, town of Eastport will get the deed to the boat school, and they will enter into a public-private partnership with Husson College. Husson College is going to administer the place now, hmm. and uh, it's, nice news. it's new days, you know, and uh, the name officially changes to the Maine Marine Technical Center, although we will still call it the boat school. And, uh, you know, so that, we say, is a good thing. All right. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll have, we talk to the fellas down there, uh, uh, Dean Pike and Brett Blanchard, uh, on a regular basis, and hopefully in one of these upcoming shows we'll speak to them again. All right, I have one. Uh, this is old news, too. The, the Cuddy Sark, Cuddy Sark, Cuddy Sark, the boat, not the beverage, um, over in England was hauled out for some restoration, and... Uh, Apparently was set on fire by some, uh, well, juveniles probably, but it was pretty badly burned. The picture that I have here from the website of the BBC sort of looks like it was going to be a total loss from the picture, but I guess they they were able to save most of it. But there was some char, quite a bit of charring on the inside, and uh, they're going to fix it up and make it good again. But it's uh, it was a uh, pretty near a, a, a total loss, so. 
the Cuddy Sark uh, goes way back in history. I get to eight, 1860s or something like that. The boat's 150 years old. One of the English uh, clipper ships yeah. known for uh, getting places fast tea with trader. very valuable cargoes. A, yeah. Uh, yeah, one of the last tea traders. I'm sure it's made out of uh, all teak. How much of a boat do you need to rebuild around, you know, just a nail, a drift in, a, yeah. you know, a little piece of the rudder? I mean, Some you old know. pictures, you yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, boat rehabilitation, the HMS Bounty has just been relaunched down to Booth Bay Harbor. The actual one from the 1962 movie starring Marlon Brando. The actual one. The huh? actual <laughs> one. Uh, it's on its third rebuild. They just put $2 million into it and 35,000 hours. When it got here, it was wearing a rubber diaper, and apparently that was all that was keeping it afloat. They said the bottom of the boat was just Swiss cheese, and they replaced everything. Mm. And uh, that's Booth Bay Harbor uh, Regional Shipyard. The uh, bounty is off to Nova Scotia and England and then Brazil and Tahiti. So it's going places, you know. It's a real ship. And uh, was also featured in the last couple of Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Isn't that exciting? All Booth right. Bay uh, Regional Shipyard is kind of interesting, too. I uh, almost had a chance for a delivery with those folks a little while ago on a New oh, York yes. 30, which is a Harishoff uh, 1905 racing boat made for the New York Yacht Club. A New York 30 is really like a 45-foot boat. And it's a big old gaffer, a uh, big tiller. Uh, they're fast. They got a, a huge, huge mainsail that the uh, the gaff, um, sorry, the boom hangs way the hell over the end of the boat. Nobody Does it ever, clear your head? Nobody ever tried to reef one at sea, apparently. They just, uh, they're famous for never being reefed. And it had to go down to Long Island, but I sort of priced myself out of the delivery. But anyway, the Booth Bay uh, Regional Shipyard apparently been bought by a summer fella. And uh, he bought that uh, Harishoff to rebuild. As part of a, uh, you know, interesting project for the yard. That boat doesn't have an owner besides the boatyard, and it was going down to Long Island to, to show off in its home waters, the New York Yacht Club home waters, and being a yacht club race over the Memorial Day weekend. So isn't that interesting, too? Funny how that goes. It? it used to be all those old boats were all family boats, you know. There was the... The Astor family or the Rockefeller family boat or whatever family had. New York Yacht out. Club still comes through here every summer on their cruise, and they are famous for that. Some people uh, like them more than others. They spend lots of money, and, you know, they got nice boats, but, boy, they come in a gaggle, and, and they can be. Uh, you've never experienced that, have you, Michael, down in Stonington? Well, we see them every now and again. I have to say I'd rather see the New York 30s come by, though. That's, that was a beautifully done restoration. I looked at it last year. Hell of a, uh, but from my point of view, to deliver this boat down to Long Island, I'm used to going like in your modern yacht with a Dodger tent, an autopilot, a, a stove, a microwave, a refrigerator. This boat didn't have any of those things. Didn't have a radar. Didn't have a steering wheel. Just has a big old tiller. And I guess when you're uh, on the wind, you got to hold on to that thing. And uh, known for its weather helm and, and a big workout for a helmsman. And Boy. We're going we're gonna to try to talk to those that fellows. That would be work, wouldn't it? For find out how, like I say, no Dodger tent, no radar, no, uh, you know, no navigation instruments. A big mm. old day sailor, yeah. basically. Well, good luck. And interestingly enough, look at the uh, Morris series of, of uh, brand new day sailors. And uh, if those aren't sort of patterned on that New York 30, the Harishoff, the, oh, yes. the uh, rectangular oh, yes. cabin windows, that's it exactly, okay? It's all old school. That's a trademark of the Harishoff. Yeah, yeah, that would be the point here, all old school, and it's been a huge success for the Morris Company. But phone's ringing. We it? do have a phone call. Let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Martha Garfield calling from oh, Cambodian. Hi, Martha. Hi. What's happening? <laughs> well, I'm calling from Cambodian in Belfast. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with the... Oh, uh, certainly we are. We talk about you all the time, Martha. Well, good. Have you been I'm blushing good. or anything? <laughs> no, no. Not, not le- recently, but um, today is the beginning of our public rowing, so I thought it would be appropriate to call in and let everybody know that. Well, that's a stroke of genius. Tell us about your gig, Martha. Uh, well, we've got... <laughs> Very uh, good, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> a little pun, you know. <laughs> well, the gig is um, we've got two uh, 32-foot Cornish gigs that um, we provide um, volunteer skippers, and the community can come and learn how to row these six-oar boats. And um, we have a schedule up online, and you go down to the boathouse in Belfast, and you sign up, and you'll learn how to row. And, of course, the boats need people as well as people sort of need the boats, so it's a great little thing, isn't it? Exactly. You, You must have a bunch of regulars. Oh, yeah, we do. We actually have um, a bunch of regulars who are into racing, and I'm one of that group. 
And um, we are going down to Martha's Vineyard in July to do a race, and we went to Massachusetts in March and did the snow row. So, Excellent. Snow yeah. row. <laughs> yeah, we had to start in a whole bunch of ice. <laughs> it was a mass start. It was confusing, but it was a great race. Was so. that a beach start on an icy beach, did I hear? Yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah, I read about that. A lot yeah, of wet feet, of the, huh? Yeah, half of the beach was um, ice, half of it wasn't. And unfortunately, our gig was in the ice. It was you had to smash the oar into the ice to break through. So we did lose the rudder. <laughs> well, but the point is you were there and you were all laughing and carrying on and, you know. Yeah, so we had a great time. How but, does anybody get a hold of you if, uh, say, they're not a regular and like to go rowing sometime? Um, well, the phone number is 338-3466. And we also have a website, which is comeboating.org. Do you get many tourists just uh, bopping down the waterfront and end yeah. up in the boat? Is that a, yeah. even a possibility? Mm-hmm. It's definitely. You can show up. Um, the schedule's online as to when we're doing the public rows, and people can just show up also. But you're guaranteed a spot if you go in and sign up at the boathouse, which is down by the Harbor Master's office in Belfast. And there's a little mailbox there. You just open the mailbox and sign up your name. Excellent. Uh, what else come boating do, Martha? Well, we have youth sailing and adult sailing. Um, the youth sailing is for 7- to 13-year-olds, and it's in July and August. And it's taught by U.S. sailing certified instructors. And then we also have adult sailing, which is individual and group, and that is also taught by um, U.S. sailing certified instructors. And that's mid-May through September for the adult one. We're having a sailing regatta on August 11th at 16-foot boats or less. And then we also have... Um, a rowing regatta, which is going to be happening July 28th, which unfortunately conflicts with the Full Circle Fair. Um, but it's also the same day as the Boat Building Challenge that's happening in, in Belfast. And how many people crew one of these gigs? It's six oars plus a skipper. So six people plus a skipper. Now, you just uh, piqued my interest there. You've got to go back to the boat building race. You're having a, a, a version of what's called the Sick Flex Challenge, I believe, at your uh, uh, July 28th row-off there? Yeah, um, Come Boating is not, is not affiliated with it, but we're going to be doing um, a rowing regatta that same day, kind of part of the whole celebration. But um, if you want more information about the Boat Building Challenge, you can call Mike Hall at 338-3792 reason I'm interested, my friend Richard Ryder and I from uh, Union River Boat Company, uh, he and I participated in that down to Southwest Hob a long time ago at the Wooden Boat Show, and we come in second. We built a 12-foot double-ender in two hours and 48 minutes, and we might have won, except for Richard can't row worth a damn. <laughs> and he dropped his oar, and uh, I just about uh, made up for his time. But uh, And the other thing was that there were like... Uh, Six teams, and four of the teams had bought the materials and pre-built the boat to, to uh, try it out, and we just showed up, you know. But um, I've never worked so hard in my life, and I've never had such a good time working. It was a scream for, for uh, like I say, highly yeah. recommended as a yeah. spectator sport. Or there were not only boat builders there, there was a, there was a pair of house builders, and, and they didn't yeah. seem to be in a rush, but they did a nice job, you know. <laughs> Well, I think sometimes house builders might be better depending on their persnicketiness. Because you've got to do it fast, and you can't make everything look perfect. Exactly. The uh, world record, I believe, is now down around uh, two hours or so. No, for... it's down close to one hour. What? One I'm hour. not signing I'm up for that. I'm too old for that. <laughs> wow, it's amazing, yes. Most boat builders know what quick and dirty means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good, work. I was uh, making uh, oars. you got to make oars, too. And I had my router upside down and my bench, bench vice there, and I had a round over bit, and I'm shoving these two-by-twos through there, round them over. And, uh, and it, I felt something, and I turned around, and I had uh, poked an old lady right in the gut with the back end of the two-by-two, and she <laughs> oh, went my. down. Oh, man. And I dropped it and ran over there and says, are you all right? And she goes, oh, no, I'm fine, dear. You're busy. You do. You go back to work. And I'm like, busy. please. <laughs> <laughs> Knocked her over, I did. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, highly recommended. Well, Martha, thanks for calling in this morning. Yeah, there's two other events that I'd like to just mention. Absolutely. Um, on June 29th, there's going to be a concert dance at the American Legion Hall, which is a benefit for come boating, and Chrissy Fowler will be calling, and the band will be Calliope. And there's also going to be a Blue Moon Row on June 30th, which starts at 8 p.m., and you definitely need to sign up for that one ahead of time.
Excellent. And um, what a cool thing. We're doing Boat Talk on community radio this morning, uh, and that, if nothing else, is community access to the water now, isn't it, come boating? Yes, it is. Yeah. Most definitely. What a beautiful thing. Great. Well, thanks for letting me talk. Thank you, Martha. Thank you, Martha. Bye. Yeah, give us a call this morning about anything uh, nautical on your on your uh, horizon, and, and uh, we'll talk about anything, concern, one, anybody concerning a boat. one 625 They're uh, thinking of having uh, saltwater licenses for fishing now. This is part of a new federal mandate. You talk about times changing. Uh, you've always had to have a license to go fishing freshwater in Maine, but never saltwater, and think we don't have to register kayaks or canoes or unmotorized vessels either. But perhaps uh, it suggested that's coming, too. This uh, is part of a federal mandate. They're concerned about fishes that live part of the time in the ocean and part of the time in rivers. You know, that uh, describes a bunch of fish like salmon and, you know, alewives and smelts and all kinds of things. But they want to, uh, as part of the management of the fisheries, they want to keep track and manage the fishermen. So they've mandated that all the states have to come up with uh, some way now, which was bound to be a license. And the main... uh, Oh, uh, Marine Resource Committee has tabled this until January of next year, but uh, saltwater fishing licenses are coming, hmm. and people wonder how far behind will a sticker and a tax be on your kayak, you know? Yeah. Got to raise money somehow. Arguable that kayaks <laughs> use, you know, uh, boat ramps. And, really? You know, mm-hmm. I'd rather not register mine. Doesn't matter what stand, you... but I think maybe you should register yours. Yeah. But if you, you fall in the water off of a powerboat or off of a canoe, you still require the same services. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Also in the uh, uh, saltwater news, the G-moose buoys. Uh, there is a series of buoys out in the Gulf of Maine, and they're on a computer uh, a website, gmoose.com, uh, G-M-O-O-S, and it's the Gulf of Maine Ocean uh, Observatory oh. System. Yeah. This is part of a federal mandate, too, that's like uh, six years old, and the uh, Gulf of Maine buoys are the prototype for a, a countrywide system. Uh, ten other uh, areas would be involved, but the, the Gulf of Maine is up and running and functioning uh, ahead of everybody else. And uh, The problem being, there was a representative from California that didn't like the thing at all, and uh, he blocked the funding of it. He got diselected last election, and now it's back up in committee, but it's thought that even if it gets refunded, which it may not, that the GMOOS buoys may have to go. We're talking uh, $650 million a year for the uh, countrywide system. They say that it has invaluable societal, environmental, and economic benefits, so like search and rescue information, fishery science. And uh, when we talked to Raw Faith, the first time they got rebuffed trying to cross the Gulf of Maine, he claimed the, the waves were 120 feet tall. I went on the computer and checked the GMOS buoy where he was, said it was about 12 feet. You know, <laughs> just and, exit zero there. Yeah, just uh, you know, he they didn't say they're 120 feet tall, but no. uh, so anyway, it is like you say a system that is in danger right now, and it's interesting. These buoys are also interesting. They don't just do the wave height and the temperature; they do oceanography. They ta- they go down to depth as well and measure currents and and temperature going down. Uh, big uh, information for lobster research, for instance, very temperature dependent. Mm-hmm. So anyway, more marine news there. Phone number, though, phone anytime. Number. Save yes. us. Give us a phone call. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. There's uh, something else I'd like to talk about this morning, and uh, this was um, a Memorial Day trip of uh, three friends up north, Chamberlain Lakes, just oh, uh, yes. up above Speaking Baxter News. State Park. This was in the Bangor Daily News uh, a week ago, uh, Wednesday, June 6th. And... Uh, you know, what were you doing on Memorial Day? These three fellows were part of a group of a dozen or more that were planning a week uh, camping trip up to Chamberlain Lake. Uh, a dozen of them backed out, and these three fellows are still going. So they've got a uh, motorboat and uh, t- uh, towing a canoe and all their camping gear, and, and Chamberlain Lake, they've been there plenty of times, and uh, they're having a good time. But from the Bangor Daily News here, uh, imagine this scene on Memorial Day. Uh, his friend... Uh, from the point of view of uh, Scott Valente, who was the only survivor. He sees his friend Kevin Grant swimming towards shore, the whitish skyline, the blurry trees in the distance, the green water, and his friend Douglas Harmon beside him in the wind-blown waters of Chamberlain Lake. Are you still kicking? Valente asks Harmon. I can't move my legs, Harmon replies. Hang on, Valente says. I got a hold of you, and I'm not letting go. Sometimes Valente sees the waves crashing over his head or his vision fogging with hypothermia. Almost like looking through an opaque piece of plastic you'd cover a window with, he says. 
Or here's Harmon say, tell my kids I love them before he lapses in delirium and he died, still floating in his life jacket. You know, and those fellows went from uh, having a hell of a nice time to being in the water and two out of three of them died. And uh, I don't know these fellas, but I know the same fellas. And I used to be uh, part of a group of people that used to go on uh, fun hogs, we used to call ourselves. We never went with a motorboat. We'd uh, just be in canoes generally. So, um, you know, and it's a hell of a story. And uh, like I said, we on Boat Talk highly recommend that you go out on the water and have a good time. But part of the uh, satisfaction of being out on the water is it's a tricky place. It has lessons to teach and it can kill you. You've got to be very careful when you leave a shore with an, with an offshore breeze. It can look quite calm and flat where you are when you depart, if the wind's behind you. But as you get further and further out, things get more and more rambunctious. We, we had a fisherman in Stonington a couple of years ago coming in towards Fifield Point uh, in, an, in an outboard, fairly large outboard, but... Um, Wind had picked up. He had a pretty good load of lobsters, some traps on the back. And uh, as he got into sh- more shoal water, one wave came up over the back of the boat. And with that engine on the back, where's the boat on going? The back, it just went a little lower. Yeah. And the next wave came up over. And uh, there was fortunately a carpenter out on Fifield Point working on a summer home. Uh, heard the cry for help. And he jumped in his truck and drove hell for leather for Fifield's Lobster Pound, Lobster Dock, jumped into one of the skiffs that was just docked there, didn't talk to anybody, and raced out. And he literally got the guy as he was going down for the second time. The boat was gone already. Yep. And, uh, but it's a tough situation. Once you take that first wave, you're, you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, our uh, friends here, uh, Grant, Harmon, and Valente, they were experienced. They just had their uh, boat and motor worked on. They went for a test ride in the boat, test everything out, and now they're up in Chamberlain Lake. And I'll tell you what, big waves in the ocean don't really scare me, okay? Uh, They're kind of beautiful in a way. I've seen some (laughs) have had them fall on me, uh, you know. But uh, lake waves scare the hell out of me, and current scares me, too, to tell you the truth. Um, La- uh, waves in a lake get really close together, which you call square waves, where it might be a six-foot wave, uh, six feet uh, from the next one with a six-foot trough in the middle, and, and the boat's got nowhere to go in between those. Uh, That's right. It's nasty, nasty stuff. So um, so here's our three friends. They're up in Chamberlain Lake. they got the uh, motorboat filled up with their supplies. They're towing a canoe, and uh, they're about a quarter mile from shore, and the motor cuts out. And right away, a wave comes over the back of the transom, and the boat swamps, and it goes straight down, backwards, the motor uh, being the ballast, and uh, it's nose up and, and uh, going under. They were not wearing life jackets. They're all standing up because it was pretty rough. But as they say, it, we'd been out there when it was rougher, you know. But the boat was uh, just in an unfortunate way to the waves. And like I said, that motor quit. They got pooped, and down she went. Um, Harmon kind of panicked initially. And uh, they, two of them, Harmon and uh, Grant, got their life jackets on uh, pretty much before they went in the water, but uh, uh, Harmon started panicking. Valente dove down and uh, uh, cut a, a couple of float bags loose from the, from the uh, sunken boat and also cut the canoe loose. Okay, and the first thing they did was tried to get into the canoe. One fella got into the canoe as two other fellas held it off. Mind you, it's it's nasty little uh, choppy waves out in Chamberlain Lake, and yeah, the water's pretty cold. And the water's cold. Yeah, I'm they've sure. got they've got uh, Harmon calmed down a little bit. The panic's over, and one of them gets into the canoe. The second one gets into the canoe, and uh, then the canoe flips again. They're in the water, and then they've got a couple float bags and a capsized canoe. Grant gets on the canoe. And the other boys are hanging on to float bags, and they're going in different directions. They are uh, drifting parallel to the shore. And uh, after about an hour, uh, Grant swims in, tries to swim into shore, and he didn't make it. Uh, Grant died. He was wearing a life jacket. Um, one of my favorite little things, uh, they're uh, near the um, sunken boat, and a, a five-pound bag of onions pops up, and Harmon says to Grant, what do you, and, and uh, I'm sorry, Valente grabs the onions, and uh, his friend Harmon says to him, what are you saving the onions for now? You know, so he still had a sense of humor, which is a very good thing, you know. But they'd been in the water for about an hour when, when uh, Grant died, and uh, so they're hanging on to these float bags. The float bags are losing their buoyancy. And as I read before, uh, Harmon is losing the feelings in his legs. And he went delirious, and uh, he died. And his friend uh, Valente there held on to him for a while until 
it was just getting to be a negative situation. Buoyancy-wise, he let his friend go. And his friend went floating off face down in the, in the lake. And he could see him for, you know, a long time. Mm-hmm. And he kept watching him. And, and Valente says, I kept wanting him to pick his face up, but he never did. He knew he was dead, you know. And uh, mind you, Grant and Harmon, who are uh, both dead now, were wearing life jackets. Uh, Valente is not wearing a life jacket. And he is trying to fight. He's trying to keep himself alive. He's yelling to himself, I'm not going to die here today. This is stupid, you know. And he's fighting it, but it's wearing him out. He's been in the water almost two hours now, and he's just going numb. And as it says, it's like pulling a, uh, a piece of plastic over your eyeballs there. Everything gets kind of lethargic and kind of, you know, a little gauzy. And it might not seem like such a bad thing. He had resigned himself to die. And he hears a lady yell, over there! And a man and a lady were in the, uh, camping on the shore, I believe. They, they thought they saw an overturned uh, boat, or the canoe is what they saw. They got in their boat. They went out on the lake. The man was driving the boat. He went for the overturned canoe, um, which was separate from the debris field that Harmon and Valente had been drifting in. And his wife saw, saw Valente just come up on a wave, and she yelled at her husband, and Valente heard her say, over there. Just, you know, heard her through the fog. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what saved his life. Otherwise, he'd be dead, too. And how close to, like I say, having a nice time to being in the water and, and your best friend from ninth grade is dying in your arms. Bad scene. Very bad scene. And uh, on the other hand, we advocate that you go out and do those things. But here's the thing. I'm, I'm fascinated by survival stories, and you got to learn by the mistakes of others. And, uh, and analyzing this situation, the wardens, I think, have come up with a kind of a strange conclusion that Valente may have lived because he didn't have a life jacket on and he was fatter than the other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Grant, the first fellow that went down, he was like uh, six feet and 170 pounds. Uh, Harmon, the, the guy who couldn't move his legs, he was 5'10", maybe 160 pounds. And our friend Valente, who lived, he was uh, six, uh, 5'10", or 6 feet and uh, 220 pounds or more. And perhaps he had to work harder because he had no life jacket on, made his heart pump faster. Which is against things I've been told. If you uh, bundle up, you'll save your heat longer. If you work, you lose it faster. Yeah, well, a layer of fat, of course, that <clears throat> works for everybody. Knows it works for seals. <laughs> yeah. It works for you know. Now the three of us here are not likely to always be wearing our life jackets, are we? But we're all you know we're all somewhat padded as well. So perhaps there is hope for us. But no, I, I hope what so. are the lessons here? Is the question, and we're wondering what you're thinking this morning. We're doing boat talk. I think the big lesson is always stay on the boat. I think that's the that is the key. I mean, having a life jacket. A friend of mine once said, uh, "I don't wear a life jacket because I don't ever want to have to use it. I want to stay on the boat." And you're supposed to stay with the boat if it's overturned. Now, Harmon stayed with the boat. It drifted away from his friends, and uh, you know he tried to strike out for shore. I'd be apt to try to strike out from shore. A pretty strong swimmer, you know. Me too. But he didn't make it. Yeah. And he had a life jacket on. Well, old fisherman in Stonington told me once, 50-50 rule. 50-degree 50 water, 50 feet from shore, you got a 50-50 chance of making it. <laughs> I heard that from a kayak guy. The Fully other dressed, you know. I mean, that's. I, it seems ridiculous. 50 feet isn't 50 very feet's far. 50 feet's not far, no. But I don't know. Give us a call this morning and tell us what you're thinking. The number here is 1-866-625-9378. We're doing boat talk. It's uh, WERU. Community access to, uh, you know, our marine world, I guess you'd call that this morning. And we got Michael War in here this morning as a guest, uh, you know, and uh, we're talking about this Memorial Day drowning up on Chamberlain Lake at the pleasant, present time, but we can talk about anything you like. Um, you know, uh, again, staying with the boat uh, and uh, self-rescue or hoping somebody will come and get you. I guess you got to, there's a lot of factors involved there. Well, on a bigger boat, I mean, having a harness on and keeping yourself tagged onto a jack line down the middle of a boat, it seems to me, has always been my solution to staying on board. I know a fellow who died on a harness. Of course, I don't know him because he died before I got, but I um, was down in Bermuda, and uh, I was shipwrecked in Bermuda a few years back. But anyway, that's a different story. Uh, we got the word that uh, this uh, death boat is coming in. The death boat's coming in. A uh, What are those... Uh, European one, swans. It was a swan, a mm-hmm. uh, 65-foot swan, a doctor from uh, Quebec. His wife, brand new, uh, uh, not even a month-old infant. Uh, his mother-in-law, uh, their teenage uh, daughter, I believe, and, and a crewman. 
and they lost control of the boat in a storm going to Bermuda. It's surfing out of control downwind, and uh, they got pooped and uh, did a bad job, got pooped, and, uh, you know, the boat's just totally out of control, and uh, the crewman got washed out over the stern on his harness, and he is on the reverse transom, uh, you know, surfing behind the boat on his harness wearing his rain jacket, and for 20 minutes that doctor tried to pull him in and couldn't do it. Think how long of time that is to panic. Mm. Long time. Yeah, After the end of 20 minutes, and I, I got the, I was friends with all the uh, Marine people down in Bermuda, and I ended up moving the boat around Bermuda a couple of times after that, so well acquainted with the details of the story. After 20 minutes, the guy just shrugged his soldiers and, and uh, let his harness go up over his rain jacket, and the rain jacket and the harness stayed with the boat, and he went. And that was that. You know? Gee, and good. like I said, how are you going to get that fellow back on board not giving a, uh, you know, you can't get Grandma up to help Paul? They had a Christmas tree downstairs. This was almost Christmas time too. They had a they had a Christmas tree downstairs in the salon, you know, and a baby uh, gimbal uh, swing and uh, the death boat. So anyway, never liked those swans anyway myself. <laughs> that was a swan song for sure. But oh, another Alan's uh, in charge of the uh, puns here. I can't believe that they couldn't bring the sails down and at least. You know, go bear a pole and slow it down enough so they could. You know, I think that's uh, some bad sail handling bad part of that. Part, you know. Yeah, but that is a job. That uh, let's imagine you got the wind behind you. The uh, boat is jibed, which for the non-marine, we like to uh, you know uh, share. Uh, you know, marine talk with we like people that don't uh, like boat know anything about boats, but still like boat talk. So we try to uh, a jibe is when you turn the boat with the wind behind you, and now the sail's on one side of the boat. It's got to go to the other side, and as the wind comes uh, across the sail, at one point it's lined straight up with the boat, and uh, you know if it's right behind you, that sail's got to slam all the way over to the other side, and and you know you're running with the wind pushing your sail. Uh, at right angles to the boat. Now, if it goes from one side of the boat to the other, out of control, and gets slammed over there, that's an uncontrolled job, and it's very dangerous to the rigging and everything else. That's a big slam. Yes. Yeah, a big slam. And a big boat will take that. You can't get away with that in a dinghy, but a big boat like a swan, sometimes you can get away with those things, and the boat will still be standing. But now your boat's surfing downwind. Uh, you know, the helm is not much help to you. Try to round up into the wind. Now things feel worse. You feel like you're going to tip over, too. That sail is plastered against the rigging. You couldn't hardly pull it down if you wanted to, let alone you've got to go up there and do that. It's not a good time either. And uh, like I say, what do you do to get That's that back? That's where the jack line is really important. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's a very good, there's a very good technique, which, which uh, I used the one time in the Bermuda race, which I was racing with a friend of mine, and I'd never seen it used before, but we actually sheeted the main – we got – caught in squalls in the Gulf Stream. Crank her right back into we, the center line. We just cranked it right into the center line. Exactly. Just got to be very careful not to be caught by the lee. Exactly. But yeah. that really depowered the mainsail altogether. And, exactly. And uh, it was a great trick and a great way to stabilize the boat and change the headsail. And, yeah. and, uh, Been there, done that. It yeah. works. Yeah. Well, yeah. It does work. We have some phone calls. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk to some to folks. That. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hello. Am I on? Yes, you are. Okay. My name is Don. Uh, I live out here in Northport. Hi, Don. And uh, I own a West Sale 32, and I uh, just thought I'd let people know that there's a West Sale rendezvous here in Belfast Harbor July 1st and July 2nd. I think it's the first time uh, there's been a rendezvous for West Sales uh, on um, the coast of Maine, uh, and it's um, welcome to all people who either own West Sales or like them or want to see them. How many West Sales you figure out there, Don? Well, <laughs> I think I'm going to get about five or six to come. Uh, none of them are from Maine. They're coming from other, other regions. Uh, but as far as the number of West Sales built, uh, the 32-footer is the most common one, and 830 of those were built. Yeah. So there's an awful lot of them still out there sailing. They were built, uh, built to last. And a rendezvous, obviously, a, uh, just an excuse for people with anything in common to get together and, and uh, you know, use their, their boats and uh, have a couple of cocktails and tell stories. And, exactly. Yeah. And a lot of them would like to, you know, they get on each other's boats to see how they've been outfitted and what improvements have been made over the years on these vessels. And, uh, and it's a good way for people who know about West Sales to actually physically get on them, even though they may not own one at this time because um, the club that uh, I belong to, uh, you know, when they have their rendezvous, they allow for anybody to join in. So uh, it should be uh, an interesting little rendezvous. We have about 
or maybe a dozen cars coming where people could not actually get their boats uh, up in the area. So people are driving from the Carolinas and Virginia and, and a couple from New York to join in with, uh, with the gang. So, Is it possible some non-West sails could sail with you to at least carry some of those other people? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't see any other any problems with that. Sure, you know we're we're a pretty open club. Uh, we love sailing and we love other sailboats. So sure, yeah, anybody can come by and join in on uh, on the two days that we'll be down there. You haven't named the club yet, and how to, how would anybody get a hold of you, Don? Well, uh, the, there is a West Sail Owners Organization, and it's called WestSail.org. O-R-G. And uh, if you go on that website, uh, you don't have to be a member to navigate to the website, <laughs> and there's contact information for rendezvous and, and what have you there. Um, I am kind of hosting it uh, here, uh, and I can be reached at uh, 338 uh, So I'm kind of organizing it. I live, like I said, here in Northport. So uh, I've been restoring. I bought my West Sale three years ago and have been restoring it for three years. Sailing it in the summers, but uh, working on it in the winters. In a, in Don, a it's only 32 feet long. How can you work on it for three years? Oh, uh, have you run out of stuff to do yet? It's a boat. Isn't that a great boat joke? It's a boat. <laughs> Everybody here is laughing. That's a great it's boat a joke. boat. <laughs> is three years enough is the question. <laughs> if you didn't touch everything multiple times, you, you could easily be done by well, now. You I start at the bow, you just sweep to the stern and be ruthless about yeah, it, you know? right. Well, I hadn't messed up so many projects, I wouldn't have to redo them either. <laughs> well, it's easy to take them apart, isn't it? Yeah, it's easy to take them apart. <laughs> but this, co- uh, this boat needed uh, you know, a complete barrier job done, and then I repainted the hull uh, using a uh, roll-and-tip method. Uh, my wife is not speaking to me still because she was the uh, helper on that job. Oh, dear, that's a great way to paint a boat. Buddy. Oh, yeah. You've got to have some teamwork. It came out stunning after the fourth time. All right. <laughs> Experience is a good that's, teacher. That's a good tip right there. Yeah, that's <laughs> Oh, more puns. <laughs> Rolling and tipping for people that don't know. You can paint your car this way if you feel a need. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, people uh, around now, uh, I belong to the little yacht club here in Bayside, and they've all looked at my boat, and they want to hire me to do their paint jobs. Yeah. I'm saying, no way. I'll Ex- sit there and consult all day, but I'm not going to touch it. Explain how it's done, generally, Don. That's right. Right. Ex- explain basically what you did there, well, rolling and you know, tipping. I mean, uh, the prep work is key. You know, you have to make sure you, you uh, remove any uh, impurities off that hull, and there's some chemicals that will take care of that problem. And then it's the matter of filling in any gouges and, and, uh, and problems with the hull. And then there's the uh, primer coat, and then, then there's the finish coat. The key to using this type of two-part uh, paint is to uh, you've got to have some temperature control you know, the cooler temperature seems to work better because it gives you more working time with the paint. But uh, you can't do much of an area at one time. You've got you to gotta just do small little areas, maybe two feet to three feet of the hull at once uh, is the most. And you can't put that paint on thin enough. You just can't. You know, people have told me you've got to put it on thin, and I didn't know what they meant by thin, but it is... You've got to roll most of the paint right out of that roller before you even touch the hull. Uh, a nice uh, foam um, uh, yep. a good, roller uh, to get out an even coat of paint, but then you're, you're left with something that looks all bubbly and got roller marks in it. That's, not tip, a, that's where the tipper comes in. All right, in. then. Yep, and the tip, uh, it, if you spread out the paint well and really work it so that everything is even, then the, tip, uh, the tipping can be very, very easy. So the roller, the person who's doing the rolling, really has to be on top of the game. And if they are doing a good job, then it's not that hard to tip out those bubbles. And by tipping, basically, Don, means you fall with a paintbrush or a, yeah, a, dry a foam paint. brush works good uh, right. certain paints. And yeah, a dry, you pull uh, the paint flat afterwards. Yep, yep. and uh, you, know, you don't want to put much pressure on that paint because the brush itself will start leave, leaving its ridge marks right onto that paint. Yeah. So you're feathering that paintbrush onto the painted surface. You're barely touching her just to knock those bubbles off. And with a nice uh, polyurethane, I believe you're using a two-part polyurethane yeah, boat paint. Yeah, we're using uh, Interlux Perfection. Yeah, they, yep. uh, flatten, they uh, flatten themselves nicely, and, uh, boy, you can get a nice-looking paint oh, job. Oh, the boat looks fabulous. And uh, uh, as I said, I've done, I've done an old truck that way in the past, and it uh, looked good going 70 miles an hour. So. 
<laughs> well, that's what everybody tells me. You know, if you walk right up to the boat and kind of look at it from every different angle in the light, you can see an occasional, you know, brush stroke or something like that. But from uh, five feet away or ten feet away, sitting in the water with the reflections, you can't see any of the uh, any of the problems. So uh, it's certainly uh, it cost me three hundred and fifty dollars to paint my boat, and the quote to have it painted was around six thousand. So there you go. That's uh, a good argument. Yeah. Yeah. So for a twenty. 29-year-old boat, it looks, uh, it looks pretty darn good. Unfortunately, you've just explained to my wife that I've been taking the easy job all these years because she does the rolling and I do the tipping, <laughs> and I know she's listening. <laughs> well, hopefully she's not listening. <laughs> but right. uh, anyway, just in case there's anybody out there that wants to uh, see uh, a flock of West Sales, uh, there'll, there'll be uh, some coming over here to uh, Belfast. Thanks great. for calling this morning, Don. Thank yeah, great. You, Don. Yeah. Thanks, have a, thanks an awful lot. See you, guys. You, we have another phone call. Let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Uh, I'm Dean Curtis of Project Cheers. And, uh, oh, cheers. Cheers. And I'm trying to hail some people to Blue Hill to talk to me about um, my project and going on to getting some some grants and doing, oh, uh, maybe a 35-foot trimaran. Not familiar with Project Cheers, Dean. What are you talking about here? Well, Project Cheers, uh, so far, is a group that is uh, bent on helping environment and getting some people together, volunteers and whatnot, to build a boat to sail to Europe and England. That's my goal, and I'm on my way up Blue Hill every Saturday night at 5 o'clock. So I'll meet you in the parking lot. If you want to talk about uh, building a trimaran and sailing to England, that's what I'm up to. Is this going to be a Dick Newick design trimaran? Seems to me he did a trimaran called Cheers years ago. In fact, this Cheers is named after Dick Newick's boat, um, the Cheers, the 40-footer. So the Michael wave, knew it. <laughs> wave-piercing catamaran. Yeah, that was, that was some boat. So it sounds to me like you're talking about s- sort of a non-profit kind of uh, idea to build a boat and go sailing. You And again, you've got, what, an uh, environmental mission? What are you talking about? Well, the environmental mission is really the group's home base um, day-to-day workout. And the Project Cheers, the boat, is is really to be sailed around the Panopka Bay region with a goal to get to England. Uh, but summers, it will be winters in, in England and summers in Maine, eventually. So as I, I, I'm going to take people down to Boston, get some uh, captain's licenses for them, and that's going to entail a lot of uh, navigation, Courses going on um, besides cleanups along the road and boatyards and probably beach fronts and private homes, whatever and whoever needs needs their yards cleaned up. That's that's where we're going to start. And we got a lot to talk about still. It's really quite uh, young. But uh, 10 members is what we're looking for. If you want to build a boat, you have nothing but work in front of you. I would, uh, Oh, yeah. And I'm not trying to, to rain on your parade in any way, shape, or form, but right. uh, we were talking about it earlier, and, and we haven't been talking about it lately, which is Raw Faith, a uh, self-described galleon. took four years to build on a mission to take handicapped people. Now, the mission, sort of the way I'm looking at it, uh, sort of didn't survive the building process. Uh-huh. And lots of uh, boats have come to grief in their building process, let uh-huh. alone, you know, the the mission uh, the boat was ever intended to. So we wish you best of luck. you got to energize some people, don't you? Oh, we got to go. And there's um, lots of people backing me in the, uh, in the background here, but we're not out on the road yet. And it's, it's a matter of uh, the faith of one guy, Steve Neal, in Rockland, who built the same ship uh, by himself in 5,000 man-hours, which is a little under two years. 
and uh, <clears throat> that gave me great hope. I, I saw him building it and sailing it, and his boat's named the Charis, and uh, his hope just, just flew to me. It said, wow, you, if you can do it, I can do it, and that's, that's where I am right now. There you go. It's a dream. Yeah. We never well. poop on dreams around Boat Talk. Uh, you know, <laughs> we respect that. How can anybody get a hold of you, Dean? Ah, uh, Well, my number um, is in the phone book, Dean Curtis, um, 326-4079. And you can call me anytime. But i really like to see you up on Blue Hill um, as a group project every Saturday night at 5 o'clock. All right. Well, thank you very much. Okay, thank which, you. Which, which parking lot are you talking about now? Oh, this would be the, the parking lot nearest Route 1. At the top of the hill? At the top of the hill. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you very much, Dean. Thank you. Never knew who's going to call around Boat Talk. Part of the charm. It's community radio here at WERU, and uh, we solicit your call as well. one 9378 I got another caller. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Well, I just have one small comment. Okay. I wish I wish um, the gentleman who was just on the air the best of luck, but there's a nagging question as I listen to this. What is he smoking? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm sorry to And why it. why 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 does he provoke that that response in you? <laughs> Play it back again and, and listen to it again. <laughs> Thank you for taking my call. You bet. All right, well, we haven't really gotten around to Michael very much yet. No, and Michael called us, I don't know, last winter. He calls all the time. We can already keep track of it. We remember him, though, when he does. And uh, awful nice to meet him. Uh, sort of like radio friends. Got a lot of radio friends. Haven't met them all, but, you know. Well, it was a response to a stimulus, actually. A guy called in and said that, uh, that he'd like to know more about electrolysis. And um, in my 30-some-odd years of working on wooden boats, it's, it's become... It's it's a topic of of interest and sort of a pet peeve all rolled into one. I think it's one of the most misunderstood areas. Well, of, yeah, I think it's somewhere just east of astrophysics myself. Yeah, so. and I call it voodoo personally. Well, a lot of people think that you know you just there's this weird malaise called electrolysis and you stick a zinc on the bottom of your boat and everything's good. Maybe we, we, we got to back up for just yeah. a minute okay, and yeah. explain, explain, explain what electrolysis exactly. is. Exactly. It's, okay. it's not a hair cure. All right. Well, all, all, <laughs> all, metal, all metals are listed on a table called the galvanic series of metals. And um, they, they go from the most noble at the top where you've got gold and silver or when it comes to boat building, say, Monel. And at the bottom, you've got magnesium and zinc and iron and steel just above that and in between those ranged in order of nobility are your bronze brass copper and so what happens when you put two dissimilar metals two metals that are far apart on this galvanic series into an electrolyte seawater you create an electric current a battery right the further apart these metals are Better More battery you just made. You, pr- you, you produce. Which is good for light and, uh, you know, your Walkman, but bad for your, your metals. For, further apart, the, the metals are on the noble chart. On the not, noble. Not, not on physically the, on the Right. Noble. No, not physically, but exactly on the chart. So, so there are also some other forms of electrolysis which you have no control over. I mean, don't. You, you know, some harbors, New Bedford Harbor with a lot of steel boats covered in zincs is going to be an active harbor. Some harbors have marinas that have straight current problems. And, but there, there are things that the boat owner, especially the wooden boat owner, can and should do to protect their own craft. And the, as I say, the normal solution is just to slap a big old zinc somewhere or more than one on the bottom of the boat because and protect it. All boats are made from, it's ine- inevitable, you can't just make it out of one kind of metal and have a, you know, one pole, no battery. It's that's, got, that's boats true. have many different kinds of metal in it, so the problem is inherent, and again, they float in seawater, and, uh, you know, depending on how much energy is in different metals is, is uh, where they rank on the scale there, they give it up, and then again, you, con- you complicate that by stray currents from your own boat, 
in the harbor you're in, you know, uh, it gets really complicated. Well, that, and you can't do much about that. But the one thing that people need to, first thing people need to understand is that when this current flows, it flows from the least noble metal to the most noble metal, whatever. Let's say you've got uh, a steel cage around your powerboat, around your prop, and you've got a bronze cutlass bearing housing and a bronze propeller. The, the current is going to go from the steel to the bronze, and the least noble metal is becomes the sacrificial metal. It wastes that away. That is the one that goes away. Yeah. And so the solution is to come up with an even less noble metal. Zinc. Zinc. And put that on your boat. These little gray discs you'll see hanging on the rudder, exactly. a little donut around the uh, shaft. You see them on the underside Fastened of all boats. Fastened to the side of the They're shaft They're all log. chalky and wasted looking, and right. that's your zinc. Yeah. But, but, there, it is not that simple. For instance... Your average through-hull is made of manganese bronze. Manganese bronze, unlike silicon bronze, which is your fasteners, which are, which are an alloy of copper and tin, manganese bronze is an alloy of copper and zinc. And so it's not as simple as once you create this, put this zinc on there and create a current flow to another thing that you're just producing, that you're just protecting the, the bronze through-hull because the through-hull the more activity you produce underwater, the more you will produce desincification. That's of what's this. always bothered me. You're setting up more current there by adding a zinc. Exactly. And, and, that's, and my philosophy, has, I've come to the point over the years where the only, the only zinc I will put on a wooden boat is I will put a donut zinc around your stainless steel or bronze propeller shaft huh. because it – is also, and I don't know the reason, but it is fairly well established that a spinning propeller will also produce an electrolytic problem, an electrolytic action. I've seen boats that were all bronze and, and, and have a problem with the propeller. Hmm. Um, but normally, the, 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 what, what you normally see when you haul a boat, you, somebody hauls a big wooden boat out of the water, and the classic scene is you'll see a big rectangular zinc fastened right to the side of the shaft log with a bronze strap, yep. a copper strap, coming from your cutlass bearing housing down to that. Now, in my opinion, that zinc is creating more problems and than would ever occur if you just left it off. Often on the inside of the boat, you have copper straps that tie that zinc to all, like the, uh, the toilet, um, seacocks and things like bonding. that. Yeah. Now, there's an, there's an additional bonus that the wooden boat owner gets by bonding or zinc, which is that, and this is the real problem for wooden boats. When you pass low voltage current through a wet wooden hull, you delignify the wood. Right, you take the starch out of it, there's right. nothing the, good left. The there. lignin is the yeah. chemical, nature's chemical, that bonds all the wood fibers together. Yeah, and it's basically and rotted when that's gone. I, I rebuilt an SNS, uh, quite a famous SNS, all years ago, and. Um, when I removed a lot of the ceiling, which for our non-nautical listeners is not the on the, uh, the it's not above, above your head. It's the it's little the, thin planks on the on side the of the side of the hull, inside which, of the hull planks. Yeah. So when I removed the ceiling, I was shocked to see that almost the entire mahogany hull had a layer of what could basically be described as fur on it. I would say the hull had lost it maybe an eighth of an inch of thickness. And you could put your hand on the inside of the hull with the edge of your palm on the hull and drag it three feet and come away with a hairball the and size electrolysis, of a baseball. Uh, wasting that wood away. And, yeah. and that boat was all bonded. It was diagonally strapped. Yeah. Huge bronze plates led into the frames in the way of the chain plates. Wires connecting the... Headstay fitting, the backstay fitting, all to a sacrificial anode. And as soon as, as soon as you cut all that stuff out, took all the zincs off the boat, the, the problem stopped. And it, that's just one of many, many. The, 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 the very first boat I ever repaired as a self-employed shipwright was a, a Malabar 6 sister ship, a beautiful Alden Gaffrig schooner. And after I con completed the repairs, about... Two weeks later, the guy called me up and he, he said, I want you to come and look at my boat. I'm having problems with the horn timber. 
And while the boat had been hauled out, a, a, a knowledgeable guy had leaned on this owner to protect he said, his gudgeons. The boat had three big bronze gudgeons on this And the rudder floor. on the back. Rudder's important to the boat. Right. So it was an iron-fastened boat built in 29, and, but it had these three big bronze gudgeons. So the owner was persuaded to attach three big zincs, one to each gudgeon. And after he'd had the boat back in the water for a while, he was back in the stern, and he noticed a lot of strange-looking white calcified sort of hairy deposits appearing around the horn timber, which is a very structural, important structural yeah, it's element. it's like the back tail feather of the boat. Exactly. Yeah. And he had someone come in. They suggested it was his AM radio had problems. That uh, There were all sorts <laughs> of suggestions. Yeah, the AM radio, this is back in the, you know, in the early 70s before single sidebands came in. And, but to cut a long story short, the whole problem was that He was creating so much electric current by attaching directly the zincs to the bronze. was flowing through this oak horn timber, and it was delignifying it. Oak has a very peculiar way. There's a lot of tannic acid in it, and and there are a lot of strange ramifications when you produce electric current in oak. And he actually had me sister up the horn timber with two big steel plates. Oh, good. Which had some different more metals. Which which didn't... You know, I, this was my first job, my first customer, and I didn't understand what was going on. And he was a very knowledgeable long-term owner, and he yeah. knew what he wanted for his boat. He, he found out later that year what the problem was, took the zincs off, and the problem went away. And by trying to save the boat, he was killing it, basically. And poor Don, who's been working on his boat, our West Sail buddy from the phone there, who's been fixing the boat for three years... And he puts it in the water, and he does, it's going to hell right under him, isn't it? <laughs> Don uh, wasn't talking about electrolysis problems. He was mentioning uh, blister problems, which is water migrates through a fiberglass hull. Yeah. And if it finds chemistry it doesn't like in the fiberglass chemistry, unreacted molecules and stuff, makes big fat uh, molecules that bind with water and make a blister under the fiberglass skin. And that's, uh, you know, let's yeah. say... Boats, I mean, you know, why bother? They're uh, just way too much trouble, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I, I fixed up a power boat. Uh, the head was about to fall through the bottom of the boat. It was on a rotten block, and it was on a, next to a big seacock that was on another rotten block, and they were all bonded uh, with a copper strap that went to the zincs underneath. And the fellow I was working for, he was, he owned, he was a solar electrician uh, fella. And he even invented a a device that sterilizes water with current. So he knows about electricity, right? I tried to tell him, you have to debond this thing. The toilet's going to fall through the bottom of the boat. He wants me to take the boat to Nantucket. I'm thinking it might not get there. (laughs) So anyway, he would... I never fixed the toilet. He wouldn't let me do it. And he swore by, well, you know, but it's got to be bonded. But it's not working, I said, you know. It'll and there's the evidence right there. Days. It's highly, well, you read Skane's Elements of Yachtist Design. And voodoo, and he says know? right in there, bond your boat. It may mm-hmm. work for other people, but not for you. Fought on Chamberlain Lake there. There's a lot of factors, and you kind of possibly carefully have to judge, uh, you know what kind of life jacket you've got on your uh, the bottom of your boat or whether you can uh, make it to shore, you know, and, and uh, it is a tricky business. We do boat talk once a month, second Tuesday, and uh, we've had Michael Warren here this morning. He's been uh, sort of, uh, you know, filling in for Giffy Full in a way. I'm glad, glad you made it this morning. Well, Michael. I really want to thank you guys a lot for having me you on. You run a boatyard down in Stonington. Tell us about that. Uh, a little tiny hole-in-the-wall boatyard, yeah. yeah. I, um, I, I spent years restoring um, boats and uh, but after I moved to Stonington I I managed to get a small sort of elite group of customers that mm-hmm. have uh, really good wooden boats I, I like to like my customers and I like to like the boats actually and and so I I'm fortunate that I've got a little group and uh, very interesting collection of boats both power and sail and how much help you got around your little hole in the wall boatyard my lovely wife is all uh, now, have we balanced those uh, good batch of customers and just the perfect amount of work at all times, uh, you know, with a decent income that you get from these people that love their boat so much? And uh, just, boy, it sounds like a great life. Uh, it's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> no. Springtime right now, everybody wants their boat. It's teetering on the edge of insanity, basically, yeah. at this time of year, and it's yeah, it's you you start to hate them, you know. Yeah. Except my own. 
<laughs> well, what's the name of the boatyard, Michael? Just in case somebody wants to get a hold of you. Michael War Boatworks. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. And you better spell war. W-A-R-R. Yes. <laughs> well, war. We're just about uh, yeah. sail through another hour. We here have. We want to thank Amy Brown for engineering this morning and fixing up my headphones when they didn't work there uh, seamlessly. And we do this uh, second Tuesday of the month. There's uh, different things on other Tuesdays. Next Tuesday be uh, Indigenous Voices, I guess. But uh, we also have a website, BoatTalk.org. And also these are archived at WERU.org. And uh, we invite you to, you know, check that all out. Great. So that's it for Boat Talk. Stay tuned for Jim Pahushan on the wing coming up next here on W-E-R-U-F-M Blue Hill 89.9 and 102.9 in Bangor.